This is Veterans Voices, the Secret War podcast series. This series accompanies individual interviews with Hmong veterans who were active during the Secret War. Veterans Voices, the Secret War is brought to you by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with Hmong Museum and In Progress, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. On this episode, Hmong history buffs discuss their passion for history and what it means for their self-identity, how it affects their lives and careers, and why it's important to preserve it. Hosted by Hmong Museum founder and executive director Mai Huzel, with guests Hmong teacher and Veterans Voices The Secret Word partner Gomeng Lee, Hmong teacher and filmmaker Yur Her, and traditional Hmong flautist Hilary Lord. Hi, everyone. My name is Mai Husel. I am executive director of Hmong Museum, and we are a partner of this project, Veterans Voices, The Secret War. All right, so um, we're going to do introductions, um, your name and a little bit of background um, and um, what your interest is in history and Hmong history. Yes, my name's is Yuri, and uh, I've been teaching over 10 plus years, and I teach age ranging from elementary all the way to elders that have experience teaching and um makes what I love about Hmong history is that uh there's so much mystery that we don't know that have happened to Hmong people from the past. All right, uh, my name is Goming. I'm a yes cultural expert of some sort. I've been learning the thing for a while and in terms of teaching, I think I've been teaching the language for four years. But I've been teaching all my life. I think it started probably right out of college, um, right out of high school, actually. I've been teaching the thing ever since then. Also, I am a part of Veteran Voices, a partner of Veteran Voices, The Secret War. Um, help with all the interviews and all that behind the scenes stuff. Um, I think what, what interests me, because I come from the cultural side and learning the thing, you know, there's so much hidden within actually our songs. Um, more history hidden in the song, stories and depths hidden within a song that doesn't really show up in our language unless you learn these really cultural songs. And so I'm just very interested in that. Hi, Yajong. My name is Hilary Lor. I'm born and raised on the east side of St. Paul. Um, I got my master's in public health with a focus in community health promotion. I'm also known as a musician in the community. I play the Hulusi or Lutao Platao. The reason why I'm very interested in Hmong history is because, um, you know, I believe that music is health and healing and along with music, also storytelling. So I think it's very important to know our stories, pass it on so that way we can heal together and especially heal from all the historical trauma. Thank you. Um, so we've got a couple of educators and teachers and cultural practitioners and a teacher, I'm sorry, a musician here with us. Um, so what I'd like to do is get to know uh, when and how did you become interested in Hmong people's background? I think for me, it was when I was a uh, junior in high school. Like Growing up, I was never thought much about it until I started write, learning uh, the the Hmong extra writing system, the other writing systems called the Mupahao. That's when I, like I was keep jogging people, that's when it Hmong washed me back into Hmong. 
like I became a bit too whitewashed. So yeah, that's when it kind of started me realizing like all the trauma that Mopi went through and and a lot of hidden history that we didn't know about Hmong people, like just from China moving to Laos and reliving all these events through like books and horror stories that you hear. Um, it triggered parts of uh, myself and and that's why I kind of got interested into Hmong and just preserving the Hmong language and um, learning. And now I just found out that we're at the point where it's, it's not just about learning, but creating new things, like new terms for Hmong people to start using more in the future. So I have always been part of this. I always been part of because my parents um kind of embedded me into the culture very early. Um, I think around third or so grade, I started learning the game, and so I was always part of it. Uh, my name is Gongming, spelled in Mong. There's no way I can run away from it at all. You know, it's not even like Kong. It's Gong. It's K O O B. So I was really stuck with this background, and so but. I was really glad actually that they put me into the thing, uh, program so early. Uh, they use my name Gongming and spell in Hmong because then I can uh, play around with that and be really proud of that now. So, like, yeah, this has always been part of me. Thanks. Now I have to make sure I have to keep calling you Gongming and not Gongming. <laughs> so thank you for yes. that. Um, as for me, um, I just knew it when I was a kid that I was different. Um, I grew up in the McDonough homes. Yes, we're called Kalia Ying and everyone else grew up. And so I just remember I was different, always being bullied by like, you know, give me an duan, you have black kids and like other kids, even at school. And I remember in elementary, like kid, like we were just like kindergartners and first graders. And my classmates were telling me that I need to go back to my country. But I knew at a young age, we didn't have a country and I just remember like every year we always held like multicultural celebrations and we had to choose a country, right? But I was like, I know I'm Hmong, but it's like, should I do Laos? Should I do Thailand? Should I do Vietnam? And I felt like none of those countries I felt a, a true connection with. So I remember I ended up choosing Laos. And so, yeah, I had to like talk about their flag and their clothing. But I also made sure that, you know, I brought in Hmong clothes saying that, hey, like, Hmong people, we live in Laos too. And so, yeah, I think since as a kid, I just had interest because, you know, um, from bowling and just already knowing that I'm different. Yeah, I can connect with all of you on all of those because it's like, that's our experiences, right? It's um, it's so complicated, our history. and um, And then like growing up here in the United States, and then trying to figure out what our identity is. And sometimes when I'm talking to people, um, you know, we would say things like, you know, this is our history, but it's like American history and it's not really Hmong history because we didn't come here until the 1970s. But sometimes when we talk about, you know, history, it's like American history. Um, and I became really interested in um, Hmong people's history when I got to college. I mean, I was always interested, but my parents never wanted to tell me, you know, um, the experiences that they went through. And so I would only hear bits and pieces of that story and never really understood the full experience that they had, right? 
And that's also part of why um, I was so interested in starting a Hmong museum, you know, because when I was growing up, no one was teaching Hmong history, you know, in elementary school and middle school. And even in college, if I didn't seek it out, I wouldn't have learned um, or taken a Hmong class. Right. Um, and so uh, that's you know, why I'm interested in Hmong history, it's because I, I feel like it really helps to ground me into um, uh, uh, the person that I am, you know, and who I really am. Um, how do you embrace and share your interest in Hmong culture and history? I think for me, it's through uh, teaching the language and preserving it. Uh, right now, I'm also running a nonprofit. Uh, the whole purpose is to, uh, to preserve the Hmong writing system and also to... Um, teach the younger one and those older that they never got a chance to go to school. So I think 2015, we have a graduation class and a, a parent cried just because um, parents, they, they never got a chance. They're old that we came here. They're too old to go to the Western school right? and they never got a chance to even have their own degree and their own language. So I uh, want the mother cry after receiving her degree or her diploma in Hmong education, however you call it. Yeah, just because uh, she feels like it was like first time that she actually got a chance to earn a degree wear caps and gowns just like we do we get privileged to do that in the western education and that's one way that i embrace our own language so for me um it'll be kind of bring the Hmong cultural and language into like kind of american culture um for my my group the kaidi thing we were really big on kind of transforming the thing from what it was into see what we can push further. Um, because for us performing, you know, we always, we have this thing where we would perform, there'll be Hmong dancers, and then there'll be like the break dancers. And for us, we always get claps. The Hmong dancer, they get all the woos because they're so cool. And then the break dancer get everything, right? And so we always felt really bad because but okay, uh, we work so hard, maybe even harder than all the everyone because you, know, you had to blow, you had to perform. It was really uh, tough, but we never got the acknowledgement. So we felt that we wanted. And so we added things to the performance. We added a flip. We added, you know, more jumps and more, um, even more. We even got to this performance where we call, um, I think, statues where we made it a theatrical performance and um it was really cool and we, we actually eventually got those praises um as good as you know the break dancers um so that was like the probably one best thing for me to kind of be really proud of um, what we have done so yeah so that's how i embraced the Hmong culture but the funny thing is um, when we were learning or when we were doing those performances, we added flips and things. We thought we were modernizing, modernizing the thing. But um, what we found out was that, you know, um, when people come and praise us, especially the younger people around our age, they were kind of like, hey, that's so cool. We've never seen that with thing before. But when we go to the elders, they would actually say, yeah, that's really good, you know? And it was like nothing to them. And we're like, what? And then eventually what we found out was that um, when you perform thing, you actually do actually need to be creative. Um, you know, you hear about new ply who's the thing on the tightrope, um, about a, my great year who the thing on like stomps of trees and jump from tree to tree. And it's like, wow, they were actually innovating themselves. And so like for the elders, 
um, innovating was just part of what Geng was. Um, so that was something really interesting. Um, for me, how I embrace, you know, my Hmong culture, very similar experience to Gomeng, you know, as a musician, you know, I, I love performing, you know, traditional Hmong Asian music and especially at non-Hmong uh, community events and spaces. So yeah, maybe I feel like our generation isn't ready for us yet. So yeah, oftentimes I do find myself at many places where they never even heard of Hmong before or what Hmong music is or never seen Hmong clothing. Um, for example, last year I performed at Centennial Lakes Park and that's a very white, rich neighborhood. And they were so happy I was there because it was their first time even seeing a Hmong person performing and playing different kinds of flutes. And so um, that's how I show up. I show up to these places, letting uh, people know in my presence that, you know, Hmong people, we belong here and we're here to stay. And so I show up with, you know, the way I perform, my music, the way I dress. Even right now, I'm wearing Hmong earrings. And so even with fashion, it's like, there's this idea that professionalism, you have to like, oh, wear like suits and ties and these kind of dresses, but no, like I love, you know, wearing my cell and like having like Hmong patterns incorporated into my clothing at like professional spaces, letting people know that, hey, like this is my identity. And when people ask me to introduce myself, I always let them know that I'm Hmong because that's an opportunity for people to know that I'm Hmong and so that they get curious and they want to learn more about, you know, our culture and our history. And another way that I embrace Hmong culture is I support, you know, our local businesses and our restaurants. So you'll see me at Hmong Village, Hmong Town, especially at the Hmong ABC store. Um, I've been going to so many baby showers lately, and I always make sure that I bring a Hmong children's book for their babies. And so that, you know, their babies will have a chance one day to like learn and read Hmong. And so these are some examples on how I embrace my culture. I I love to hear so much of that, you know, and it's kind of like that melding of um, how we live today here in the United States, but then also bringing in that Hmong cultural piece and the creative piece, because um, sometimes when people think about culture, they think it's a static thing, like it's forever going to be one way, but culture isn't really like that. People aren't like that, right? People are always innovating. Um, and one of the things that uh, Hmong Museum has is a, a project called Project Bandao. And, um, you know, when I first started, um, you know, learning about Hmong people, I was like, you know, this is like what you know, the symbol means, and that's what that symbol means. But the more we talk to some of the elders, it's kind of like um, they they created a symbol on a piece of pandal because it looked beautiful. You know, it's something that they created, it's something that they innovated. Um, uh, yeah, so it's just kind of like, um, I just loved hearing the way that all of you are embracing Hmong culture and melding with your American identity as well, uh, because that's who we are. Um yeah. So uh, why do you all think it is important for us to be interested and to share Hmong history, especially with the next generation? To me, I feel like in order to move on, you got to know your past just so it doesn't burden you. Like when people ask you all the time, like going to places like, who are you? Like, if you don't know how to answer that, you feel like 
you're burdened. You feel like need that. Why do I know myself, right? Or because uh, one time experience that was when I went to uh, Switzerland uh, to United Nations to kind of t- kind of learn about like like the human rights movements, right? So and so we we're talking to this one a uh, French guy, and he asked about our history, and I think he knows our history really well. He talked, and then I felt like I didn't know as much anymore. I thought I knew a lot until I talked to him. And he kept talking because they know war history, so they know exactly where we came from. So that's when we talk about like there's so many hidden history that I feel that like even foreigners don't they know about us, but they're not telling us. They're waiting for us to go find out about it ourselves. So I think if we can just pick up where we kind of know from now, and hopefully we can feed it to the next generation, so they don't have to research what. We went through, so they can actually look further in the past and just look near present that we are currently looking right now. I like that learning history in order to grow, right? Like into the future. Girl, I think um, at least for me, there's always like a wanting to go back, like to dig up your roots or learn about yourself, even though maybe in the future you may not use it or. It might become irrelevant. There's always like a wandering or a, some a drive in you to kind of relook at your um, identities, so like the Hmong, your Hmong self. And I felt like that happened more so in college when I went to uh, learn the language uh, in college. Um, although I was like I said, I was always part of it, but to really dig into it sort of happened that time when you're like, oh, okay, I've been learning all this monk stuff, but now what does it mean, right? Why does it mean to me? What does um, it say about uh, these practices? And so I think there's just that drive that most people have to kind of dig that up. Do you have anything to say for the younger generations? Um, so, for, so for the younger generation, I think there is... Um, Like, um, I think for this generation, I feel that they have the American side and the Hmong side. And I think the big part of, you know, when I was growing up was kind of melding the both sides. I felt that that needs to be part of what's going to happen in the future because they need to embrace the American side because they aren't growing in that society, but also come to understand the Hmong side. I felt that the younger generation right now um, don't quite understand and that might be just because how we grew up, you know, our parents, the way they teach was just go watch, right? And then we don't fall into that because we don't have that time anymore. We had to go to school. We come back and do homework. Uh, we barely have any time to actually just go sit there and watch and learn it. And so we lose a lot of the importance of the cultural practices. And so I think that's where, like, I, for myself, needed to go back to kind of research that up. And so, once again, it is important to move in the future, but also kind of pull out the importance of the past. As for me, I I think it's important that I'm interested, you know, among history and to share it. Um, As I mentioned before, I think it is healing. Um, I'm going to be part of this project called Hear Her Stories, talking about my family history. And so I've been, lately I've been taking time, like drafting it up. It's really short because they only give us seven minutes. But like when I was reading it out loud, all of a sudden, like I just kept having tears, like fall down my eyes. I'm just like, where are these tears coming from? And I realized it's, it's from my soul, you know, it's, it's taking time to heal 
to heal, but also cry about what happened in the past. Like, I do believe that the trauma that our ancestors experienced, like, it is imprinted on to our bodies and it, it passes on. And so when I was reading about the part I wrote about, you know, my family, you know, crossing over, oh gosh, see, I'm crying, <laughs> the Mekong River, right? Because the United States and General Ving Pao ditched us, right? I just started crying because I'm pretty sure it was so scary for for my family, you know, to cross that river. And I really think that's why I'm scared of swimming in like of deep waters. I think it's because my family had to go through that. And so it is healing for me, I know, when I get to know my story. And so that way, you know, I could tell it to the younger generation so that maybe they too can heal and they don't need to be confused on why is it that, you know, my, the older generation, why are they always so angry? But really it's because they're suffering from like PTSD. You know, they're suffering from anxiety, depression, from from the war, from displacement, from trying to navigate different cultures. So I think that's why it's so important. Um, and then back to your point about how um, non-Hmong people, you know, getting to know our history more than us. Um, not sure. I'm pretty sure everyone saw this. And I know everyone has different views, but there's this white guy. I won't name him, but he's on social media selling his Hmong courses for $20, you know? And when I first saw that, I was angry because I'm like, why are we allowing a non-Hmong person? Like, it's great that, you know, non-Hmong people are interested in learning our language, right? But why are we allowing him to like monetize it and make money out of it when we already have so many great resources, right? Like Hmong Museum, like the, the organization that you're already teaching at, as well as the organizations that Gongming is involved in. Like we offer these for free or at discounts, you know. And like it was heartbreaking for me seeing like other Hmong people supporting that. You know, when I'm all like, well, hello, there's all these other great resources, but then they don't, they don't want to support those resources. So it really breaks my heart. And so, of course, like, like I said, no, I'm not trying to like throw hate here, but, you know, I want to give love and thanks to our Hmong educators and historians and leaders who are already doing the work. And so, yeah, I hope that the young generation, you know, they they do take this seriously because our language and culture is at a risk of, of dying, you know. And I am I am afraid that maybe in five to ten years, like, and so I'm glad that, like, we are recording this. You guys are recording these stories so that, you know, if we do come to one day where but at least the younger generation can listen back to this. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing, Hillary. I absolutely agree with you about something that history does for people, which is that healing part of it, right? Um, I haven't met any a person or group of people who have gone through trauma, um, who's like generations later come back and trying to learn their history, like Native American history, Hmong history, Mexican history. I mean, I've talked to a lot of different people trying to go back and learn that and trying to reclaim, you know, that part of that memory that they used to have. And it is very, very traumatizing without knowing all of that, right? Because it's kind of like 
like I said, I was saying before, for me, it was like a blank slate. Like, I don't know what happened before. Um, and I don't know where we came from. And I don't understand all of these things that are happening in our community. And without that context, without that history, uh, we won't ever be able to solve our, our issues and our problems. And, you know, um, you know, the intergenerational relationships that we need to have with our um, grandparents and parents and, and then into the future, right? What do, what do we want to pass on to kids in the future? Um, what kind of stories do we want to pass on? Um, we hear a lot about like the, uh, like the war, but what about other parts of our history, right? Like what about the history we're doing right now in Minnesota? You know, all of the uh, people who, Hmong individuals who are making history right now, that's what we want to pass on. And for me, that's like the most important part is being able to have a space and a place where we can hold all of that information and be able like in you know, a hundred years, if I have a great, great, great granddaughter who wanted to learn about Hmong history, they can just come to the library and learn or, you know, be able to go to a museum and see a picture. Um, you know, that's something that we don't, we um, uh, didn't grow up with. Right. And so I'd like for that to exist so that in the future, um, other, you know, our grandchildren into the future can have that. Um, anyone else have anything to add? Oh, you're so nice. We're so nice to the younger future generations. <laughs> I, I think, I, yeah, yeah I think that's nice that you guys have a place, you know, like right now you guys are making history, having that museum place, right? Because uh, I feel like the reason why a lot of us, uh, our generation, we don't seek history because we don't have a place to, like didn't have YouTube and had like all this good resource. And I think moving like 10, 20 years from now, hopefully they have a spot that they can just go to like a museum or something like that, right? Because for us, like when we go to museum, we see, because stuff, not not our stuff that we want to see, right? So, yeah, hoping that in the future they can do that. And that's a place when they just come and they feel welcome. Like for us, like if I go to other place, welcome. Like I don't, I know they don't have most stuff, so we just some more, right? Yeah, but I think having your place that that's a, that open opportunity for the future generations to come, have a place to come and actually learn their history and relive through their last generation life. Mm-hmm. That's if one believes. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I definitely. Um, you may say that, you know, maybe Mom Museum has it or Larry, but you are, we are also creating, right? You have your Learn Hmong Entertainment channel to help teach about the Hmong language. Uh, Hillary, I'm sure she has, she definitely has a Facebook page. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, displaying all her music and stuff. So, um, we definitely are creating that now. And the thing is our generation that needs to create because, um, maybe the elders, the Chitabolu, they don't quite know the language. They can't quite create that. We are the kind of in-between. Uh, so we kind of have that way that we can navigate the resources and yet still connected to the Hmong culture to build those resources. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm seeing a lot of that I'm really proud of in the community is um, uh, are the language courses and classes and the new um, I think they're going to start having um, like Hmong classes in um, the classroom for elementary I think and sixth grade students um, so they're starting to create these curriculum and I and um, it's just to, to your point Goming that um, it's being created now it's by you know our generation now that's um, uh, having to set that up so that it's there and available and aren't you taking a, a Hmong class right now? Oh, yeah. In college, I was definitely learning language. Uh, I think it wasn't more, it wasn't like, you know, I didn't know the language and I did, I was dead because I need to learn how to read and write. 
and I always knew the language, but reading and writing was um, something a little foreign because I think even our elders, we, they didn't quite know how to read and write, even in Hmong. Um, so it was a little more of a challenge in that way. So yeah. That was nice that connected me going together. We took the course together and and now we're both Hmong teachers. Yeah, <laughs> Who knew that was going to happen? <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's that, that journey piece. Um, so speaking about that kind of learning, you know, how have your parents or grandparents inspired you in learning and embracing your mongness? Like for me, like my, my dad has always been teaching us uh, aware of it. And when I was little, my dad attempted to put me into a class. But during that time, I, I think we're too young to appreciate the the culture. And maybe during that time, maybe even the place that they offer the teaching they didn't know how to reach all the students' hearts too. So I felt I went there, but I didn't feel like I was a part of it. That's kind of probably why I stopped going. And my dad just never pushed me because my dad felt that education. Recently, we talked about that question. Like, does my dad want to learn about culture? He's like, like, what's more important? Like, is it like learning English, being well off? And he did say that, yeah, that's the reason why I didn't kept pushing you guys because I want to make sure that you guys are successful there and you guys can always go back and reclaim your monk stuff because in this country it's all about survival. If you can't feed yourself, then you can't save yourself, right? So yeah, I think of part of them and we did ask dad, like, did you want any of us sons to learn any culture monk stuff? Like, yeah. Be nice if one guys can become like a Mekong or a high tea side or something like <laughs> so I'm like, well that's a lot of pressure, but it'd be something I w- I'm willing to learn. I-, I didn't tell him, but that's something I'm interested in learning. Just even if we don't perform it, I think it's just good to know for like the cultural background and just learning the rich Language, like what Gomin was talking about earlier, just knowing to understand it, you gotta learn it to know it, yeah, and then to embrace it and then to move on to your future, yeah. Yeah, um, once again, I echo that. I have been forced into it by my parents. I had no choice. <laughs> um, definitely uh, learning thing, like Zai said, in early age, but um, like that's it, um, you know, learning thing actually was kind of a lonely uh, journey until you get to a certain point. I think. In the beginning, you know, they just give you the sheets and you had to learn it. And then the Sifu will just come to you for like five or ten minutes. And then he has to go teach someone else. And then you're left there blowing by yourself. But I think the big thing that kept me in there was the the, the dancing. And um, I think somewhere along, they say actually the first Hmong dance is the Qing dance. So, yay. Surprising. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so... That was really cool. So I was the definitely no, maybe that's had an influence on why uh, we were so influenced about the dance and we were so influenced about performing and trying to get those uh you know those uh, acknowledgments. Um, but yeah, the clean dance was the thing that kept me in there. And eventually, I think even like now, uh, maybe you know I can't go do everything now, but the stuff that you learn, you know, just like the process of what goes through a funeral what, um, you know, the steps are, why they do this and why they do that. That is so much more valuable than just learning the thing itself, you know. But learning the thing took me to actually understanding why the Hmong does these processes. And that's something that I don't don't think you can really learn uh, unless you get really deep into it. As for me, um, how my family impacted me in embracing my Hmongness um, at a young age, how I learned how to speak, read, and write Hmong was at church. And so my family were Catholic. 
Um, my grandfather, um, he was one of the first Hmong, few Hmong people to get baptized in Laos. Um, and so he was a student of Tsiplinyapa, or Father Petre, who helped develop the Hmong RPA writing system. And it's cool because recently we, we actually found his baptismal documents. So it shows the village and who was there to baptize him. So that's really cool. So pretty soon we're planning on framing that up. Um, and so, yeah, at a young age, you know, going to church and then my dad will point out the words and how to say it and all that. And so, yeah, so from a young age, I, I learned Hmong that way. And then I know that, you know, with my mom, I'm just so grateful that, you know, every Hmong New Year, I always had a set of new Hmong clothes to wear. Um, I know that, you know, it's, it's a privilege that not a lot of Hmong folks have. But, you know, even though my mom, Nichi, as much as like other ladies, like she would reach out to an aunt or go to Hmong village and ask for like other ladies to help sew outfits for me. And so I'm always proud that since a young age, I can show off all these Hmong clothes. And even now with my performances, I could be like, hey, like here's how beautiful, how different and how vibrant our Hmong clothing are. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that, you know, just the way that our parents are kind of slowly kind of, yeah, you know, just by being themselves, like, here's my clothes, you know, go to, cl- go to class and, <laughs> and giving us that option to be able to embrace our culture in a way that um, makes the most sense for us, because it is so different here than it was in Laos, right? In Laos, it was like, um, uh, just a part of your community, you know, of who you are, but um, it it's so important to know, for example, all those rituals, right? Because if our parents are no longer here, our uncles are no longer here, who's going to help us with that, right? And so um, uh, it's got to start somewhere. And it's okay to start now as an adult to learn those things. Absolutely. Any final thoughts from you all? So just recently, my dad uh, been trying to push us to because uh, I went to a funeral not so long ago and the funeral only took 30 minutes in terms of practices instead of like the whole three day. So it was only 30 minutes and they did everything quick. So I was telling my dad that what if one day that's the path that we're going to go? How do you feel about it? You know, my dad's like, but all the all the other brothers, they they, they don't, we're not sure they're going to go that path. It might even just be you. But I'm like thinking about reality, like that's kind of how it's going to, everybody's going to go towards the more efficient. If it works, more efficient is to have a cultural new innovative thing, then uh, it's still Hmong. It's just that it's different and seeing things from a different lens is always hard at first until everybody starts doing it. So we're talking about that. And then uh, we've been trying to do a Sunday cultural learning thing where we're getting to learn those stuff and getting answers from my dad that we never did at a young age just because either we're busy doing other stuff and now my dad feels like he doesn't know how long he's going to live with us. So he's trying to teach us what he can. So he's actually writing and it gets to type it and gets to kind of just spend time with my dad too. At the same time, learning, relearning stuff because uh, our culture, every clan has a bit differently. So my dad wants to teach it the, the core, how everybody does it, but a little bit how just our lineage, how we do it. So it's kind of interesting to see that we're getting the opportunity to do that again with my dad. That's interesting. I think um, one of my big thing, you know, talking about shoring of the cultural practices. Um, that I learned actually was with the pandemic. Um, with that, actually, you know, when that happened, my grandpa passed away. And so we're like, how are we going to do this, right? 
um, how it's going to be shortened, why, why certain start parts needs to be there. And, um, has Mong ever done this before? And actually, you know, while we were, uh, dying for uh, him, um, the elders was like, yeah, we've done this before. We know everything to do. You know, we've been at the war. You know, when you were running and they kill someone, they shot and kill someone, you, you were the only one who knew how to thug You thug them right there and then, and they send them off. And then you just go, you know, one hour, that's it. Because they're like, because if because you knew how to do it, so you got to do it. Uh, so I was like, wow, Mon can actually shorten their practices like that so much to just like a few hours, you know, and that actually happened before, right? Not just the pandemic, it actually happened during the war. And so I'm sure, you know, there are certain things that we can do. Uh, I also learned how, you know, where it pays, like, like, uh, instead of hooing, um, they do it during the chopli side. Chopli, uh, so like they don't do it during the actual funeral, but they do it at the chopli. And that was really interesting. It's like, oh, okay, you can actually delay it to a certain part. And then you can do it when times are better. And so I was like, wow, there is actually so much more about Hmong culture that we needed to learn or I needed to learn about it. Um, and I just saw, you know, so many things like beauty within it that, that um, I didn't see before the pandemic because I always thought that it was always had to be this way. It always had to have this song. It always had to be four days. It can become more flexible, right? Yeah. 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 Like that, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think, like I said before, it was flexible before, right? Mm-hmm. And then it got rigid and then now mm-hmm. it got flexible again. So it was interesting. I know earlier I said that, you know, we're at risk. Yeah, like we are at risk. But, you know, at the same time, I'm very hopeful. Hey, we have a Hmong person joining this universe platform, right? Uh, no bias, good sing long. So I, I could probably say, yeah, a Hmong Lao person went up on this universe stage. And so it's like, yeah, now the whole world does know about Hmong people. And so I'm so excited that we get use these kind of opportunities to really, you know, show how awesome Hmong people, Hmong history, Hmong culture is. And, you know, even though, I, you know, I do have fears that the younger generation, Chikea, like um, a few weeks back, you know, some of us did attend that Hmong educators gala and there was a high schooler. Uh, wait, so they had like an older adult, right? An elder. And then they had a parent and then they had students speak. And I assumed, oh, the elders just get to speak Hmong and then the students probably going to speak English. But no, like the elder spoke everything in English and then the adult, the parent spoke in Monglish and then the students in high school ended up speaking everything in Hmong. And so I was just so mind blown, but also so happy that, you know, the kids who are like 10, 20 plus years younger than me, they still care. And so I'm very hopeful. I think that's a wonderful way to end this conversation, just having a lot of hope into the future for the Hmong people and for Hmong culture and, um, yeah, for the next generation. So thank you all. Veterans Voices, The Secret War is brought to you by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with Hmong Museum and In Progress with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.